recorded live at Esto in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This is Brand USA Talks Travel. Esto is the premier annual learning and knowledge sharing forum for destination marketing professionals. We've brought the podcast to Esto to keep you current with new trends and tools in the travel industry. Here's your host, Mark Lapidus. Best boss you've ever had, and why did that person have such a major impact on you? Well, politically correct, I gotta say Tom Garzilli in my days at Brand USA, right, Tom? Tom was a fabulous boss. But the best boss I ever had was a guy who ran a hotel, my very first hotel job. His name was Eric Lobo. He was a general manager of a Ramada Inn right by the Dayton, Ohio airport. I was a college job, and that guy taught me that my passion was actually in the tourism and hospitality industry. He introduced me to the lodging side of the industry, just always there, always talking to me, always coaching me up, and really stuck with me. A lot of the principles that I learned about treating people, how they want to be treated, looking out for your teammates, just going that extra mile really came from watching him. I'd like to meet this guy and buy him a beer. Travel industry owes him a lot. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> My guest today is Amir Alone, the president and CEO and partner at Longwoods International. Amir, you go to a lot of conferences. In fact, I've seen you quite a bit in the last month. I saw you at IPW, saw you at the U.S. Travel get-together just a few weeks ago in Puerto Rico, and here you are at Esto. What are the main questions that you're getting these days from DMOs? Everybody wants to know what's the road ahead look like. So what does the road ahead look like <laughs> according to research at Longwoods? Well, you know, it's a roller coaster. It has been, and it's going to continue to be that way, unfortunately. But there's more silver linings now than there were a year ago. We're actually releasing some new data tomorrow morning, so you heard it here first, Mark. We have amazingly high pent-up demand. 88%, almost 9 out of 10 American travelers say they have plans to go somewhere in the next six months. I mean, that's unbelievable. Now, it's down a little bit. The high was 92, but still, as we're rounding out the summer travel season, that's pretty darn good. And, of course, the economy is on everybody's mind much more than COVID anymore. But we can't forget about COVID. One out of five, 90 19% of American travelers actually tell us that COVID will still greatly impact their decision to travel and how they travel. Maybe they're driving instead of flying. A significant portion, about a quarter of them, are foregoing international travel because of COVID still. So we're seeing that happen, but it's the economy, right? Gas prices, we have good news coming out right now. Just last month in July, 43% of American travelers told us that rising gas prices would greatly impact their decision to travel in the next six months. That number in just one month, as the gas prices started going down quite rapidly, rapidly, it's already gone down 12 points. So there's now only one out of three travelers, 31%. So it shows you how quickly the traveler changes their mind. Mm -hmm. so travelers were still saying, we're going, saying they're not going to cancel a trip. They want that summer vacation. They're going to figure out a way to make it. But what they were doing was reallocating their spend. Less souvenirs for the kids, right? No t-shirts this time. We're going to pack food in the car because we're not flying. We're going to drive. So what are you seeing from an international perspective? So from an international perspective, we see still very, very high desire. The U.S is still one of the most aspirational destinations in the world, and you know that. But until recently, we had a lot of barriers to entry still, and we still do with the visa wait times, uh, visa processing. We're seeing the lift hasn't quite recovered the way it needs to be right now to meet up with the demand, but the visa wait times are long. And of course, the markets are shifting, right? Because Asia, as much as we love the Chinese travelers and so forth, pre-pandemic, our international recovery isn't coming from China, Japan, South mm -hmm. Korea. It's coming from Latin America, and it's coming from basically North America. It's the Canadians and the Mexicans. We have to adapt these regional shifts. Everybody just needs to keep rethinking things. The second most common question I get is, Amir, what are things going back to the way they were? They're not. They're not going back to the way they were. They're just going to keep shifting and evolving, and we have to be okay with that. 
So when do you think Asia is coming back? Is it too uh, hard to predict? It's too hard to predict right now. Just when you think that, okay, maybe next year, then political things happen. We just had something happen with Taiwan, and is that going to have a fallout into visitation? I mean, the Chinese are moving again, but they're moving within Southeast Asia. They're mm-hmm. not moving our way yet. So. so shifting topics to your research, how often is Longwoods in the field? Is it continual? Well, it depends on what type of work we do. You know, one of our main products and services is something we call Travel USA. It's actually a domestic study. It's the largest and oldest ongoing study of traveling U.S. households. So we're in the field year-round with that one and have been for over 30 years. What you're most familiar with probably started during the pandemic is our American Travel Sentiment Tracker that we started literally two weeks before America shut down. And we're keeping that going as long as it's relevant. There's always issues, so we're going to keep going forever probably. But we started it weekly during the beginning of the pandemic. After about four months, we went to a bi-weekly format, did that for two years. And now this spring, we back in April, we shifted to a monthly format. And we think that's where it's going to stay now. It's kind of a monthly tracker for everyone. Are most DMOs set up properly for research? No. You'd be surprised at how few DMOs actually even have a basic data analyst on staff just to interpret the data that's coming. And of course, you know, we're living in the age of data and yeah, they're playing field hockey. And out comes uh, the coffee. Oh, here's the coffee carts. Okay, we won't get in front of that. But there's so much data out there available that they're buying or they're getting for free, so many free sources of data. You know, we put a lot of free data out there. We kind of jokingly have that term paralysis by analysis. You know, you can drown it if you don't know how to make heads and tails out of it. And I was on a panel a couple of years ago at the Simple View Summit and somebody asked me a similar question. I said, you know, I'm always astounded by the fact that when this thing called an 800 number back in the 80s, every destination had their 800 number. We all set up call centers. We all had a big operation to make sure we had our visitor information. Along come the 90s and this thing called the internet. And amazingly, every DMO had somebody all of a sudden in charge of managing the website and then managing content and so forth. Then the social media thing comes along and we have social media coordinators and more content curators. And we're spending millions and millions of dollars in marketing and nobody's in charge of figuring out if it's working. Ooh, that's scary. It is really scary. The other part about that is insight. Research is one thing. Insight is another, right? Yeah. Numbers are numbers, but they got to tell a story, right? What is that story? What are you going to do with the applied part of it? That's the one thing I'm always with my team. You know, that's great that we do high quality research. It's great that we're delivering reports to our clients, but we've got to bring the story to them. We've got to bring that data to life. We've got to show them where the strengths are, where the weaknesses are, where the areas of opportunities are. And it's all about the insights, not the numbers. What are the biggest challenges doing international research? Uh, Cost. (laughs) I mean, we have clients all the time that want us to replicate what we do did in the U.S. for Travel USA, to there, just to build and maintain a panel of that scale for countries that are, for the most part, smaller than us and have different structures. It's really costly there. And to do things of scale, to give folks you know valid data, can be quite pricey. And so typically only the larger DMOs are able to afford that. There are low-cost solutions out there, but it's very low sample. And that's the one thing I think a lot of folks don't know. When you're looking at research and you're looking at a study or you're taking a survey, a lot of people just take every survey at face value. Look at the sample size. If it was less than 400 people, you're talking about a whole country or a region or a state or a city, less than 400 people. Could be a lot of volatility in that data. So you have to kind of look at those standards in there. But yeah, sample and cost are usually the biggest barriers. We can get sample anywhere in the world. It's just how much it's going to cost. I noticed that you're going to be speaking in September in Bogota at the Society of American Travel Writers Conference. What topics are you going to be addressing there? Yeah, you know, I had the honor in 2020, they were going to have their annual convention in Milwaukee. And they invited me to come in and just kind of talk about emerging travel trends. What are we seeing? What the crystal ball ahead showing? And then this thing called COVID hits, the conference gets put on hold, they move it to the fall, they do go all virtual. So they still have me do it. I was so bummed, but, you know, did it from my living room. And uh, That sounds yeah. familiar. Yeah, yeah, you know, like everybody else did. It was my first major keynote from a living room. But evidently, I must have done okay, because they asked me to come back and say, two years later, what have we learned? What are we seeing? So it's going to be all about, as the crystal ball became less cloudy and cleared up what do we have what are we dealing with now 
Research from Longwoods is often cited in major media reporting. I've seen your stuff on CNN, the New York Times, Times of London. How do you get such great PR? <laughs> you know, everybody asks me, who's your PR agency? They're doing a great job for you. We don't. It's all organic, really. You know, we put out our own media releases. If we have something significant that needs sharing with the industry, we have our email database lists, uh, a little bit of social media and our own communication channels. But the media has been so focused on the travel industry because of the disruption we've had the last couple of years. I'm not pitching anybody. The phone just rings and it's a travel editor from here or there or a business reporter from, you know, somewhere else. And it's been very flattering. It's been a lot of fun and made some good friends along the way. I'm going to have to shake your hand extra hard. Maybe some of your luck will run off on me. <laughs> <laughs> has the traveler changed, Amir? Oh, yeah. We have a traveler now that has a whole new series of expectations. A traveler that has an expectation of clarity. What are the rules of engagement in your destination? You know, obviously, during COVID, there was a lot of confusion about whether you cross the city line or state line, mask, no mask, vaccines, no mask, you know, distancing and whatnot. And that kind of has a hangover effect with the travelers. And so now it doesn't matter whether they're just going to an amusement park or they're going to a museum. Just on the most simple, basic information, we have to have our front lines trained better than ever. And our websites have to have more clarity than ever on what the rules of engagement are. We have an expectation of flexibility. Pre-COVID, it was always, if you cancel your hotel room 48 to 72 hours beforehand, you're going to get dinged for a room night, right? right? If you had to change your flight, minimum 250 maybe $500 to change your flight. And then COVID happens, and the airlines and the hotels suddenly showed us, oh, wait, we just want visitors. We're waiving these fees left and right. And now that business is coming back, they're trying to reimplement these policies like cold turkey again. I snatched away the flexibility. I got to give a shout out to some of those brands out there, though. I fly a lot. Delta is one of the two airlines that I fly the most with. In January, it made me smile from ear to ear when Delta sent me that little note saying, we like flexibility. You like flexibility. So no more change fees. You know, it just happened to me with American Airlines because I was actually supposed to visit a friend in Ann Arbor coming ah. here to Esther. Yeah, yeah. Right? I was going to go there for the weekend. I was flying into Detroit, going to rent a car, drive to Ann Arbor, and then drive over here to Grand Rapids. She got COVID. That was the end of that. Yeah. So I switched the flight, flew right into Grand Rapids. But if I hadn't had that flexibility, it would have been terrible. Exactly. So you have this expectation of flexibility now. So folks that are trying to penalize travelers, travel's become more spontaneous now, right? Mm -hmm. What are we doing this weekend? Wait, we have no plans. Can that be done internationally, though? I see how it works domestically, but internationally, those tickets are so much more expensive. They are, but those pressures are going to percolate eventually. I think you're going to see more flexible fares emerging, you know, certain levels and tiers. I mean, there's already some of that, uh, you know, the fully refundable fares and whatnot, but I think you're going to find some kind of mid-level tier where you're going to have a little more flexibility. And then, of course, loyalty programs, I think, are going to play a big factor. I think certain tiers, you're going to see a lot more flexibility, especially to lure the business travelers back. I think the airlines are going to get fiercely competitive on what kind of flexibility they're going to be offering their travelers. I sure hope you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Amir, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Again, you'll have to come back. Oh, anytime, my friend. It's been a lot of fun. I'm sure I can catch you on a road at another <laughs> conference. You know what? Chances are, I'm there. <laughs> Safe travels. Thank you. We've got a lot of great guests this year at Esto. I hope you'll either listen to these special episodes daily or binge listen when we push them out to your favorite podcast platform. I'm Mark Lapidus. Thanks for listening. This is Brand USA Talks Travel at Esto. If you enjoyed this episode from Esto, please share it with your friends.